And the best news of all is this, it's that when Jesus comes into our lives, he does not come just as a comforter for our souls. He comes as a God, as the God who saves us from our sins. And because he's God, he does not ask for permission to enter into our lives in power. And he does not ask for permission to forgive all of our sins. And he does not get down and bend on his knees and beg us for the opportunity to start healing in our hearts. He just does it because he's God. The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintiger.com. Well, we're continuing to work through uh, Luke chapter 1. Uh, last week we got to look at the character of Zechariah in the Christmas story. He was a man who, when the angel Gabriel appeared to him, his first reaction was not joy and hope and singing. His first reaction was doubt. But we saw how the Lord worked a miracle in him and brought him to that joy. Today we look at a similar character. Her name is Mary. And also, she did not begin with joy and hope and singing, but the Lord brought her to it. He brought her to an amazing song that has resounded throughout generations. It's a song that we're going to look at in huge detail next week in our sermon. It's called the Magnificat. Today, we look at the text that comes before that. It's the text where we see the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary and announcing that she is going to be the mother of Jesus. And we'll see how God brings her from fear, from questions, to hope. We'll read from Luke chapter 1, verses, verse 26 through 45. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Mary, in this account, is an achingly real person. And I want you to be able to see how real she is this morning. I want you to be able to look into her eyes in a way and see what is behind them. It's strange to think about this, how real she is. Did you know this, that that at the time that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, it's likely that she was probably around the age of a 7th grader, or 8th grader, maybe ninth grader. That's around the time that it was customary for, for young women to be promised in marriage. It's not the maiden that we see in most of our nativity scenes, right? It's too real. It's too achingly Real, And I think that there is a part of us this, these days that, that doesn't want to come face to face with the whole reality of Christmas. Now I saw that reflected in our English translations just a tiny little bit. Um, the original language of the New Testament and of this text was the Greek language. And every time that you translate something from one language to another, there's a, a certain level of interpretation that has to happen. And so that's why one of the first things that I do when I study a text is I read other translations. And I saw something that almost every translation did. It's when Mary is responding to Gabriel and she's saying, How can this be, for I am a virgin? That's not exactly what she said in the Greek words. What, what she said, literally, uh, very literally, is that how can this be, for I have never slept with a man. And yeah, I get it. It's the same exact sense. Mary is asking, how is this physically possible? And you can decide if I'm being too sensitive about this. But I think that this translation, that that many, almost every English translation does, is it scrubs away the sexual connotation out of the Christmas story so that we don't have to think about it. So that we don't have to think about this young of a woman having to come face to face with those kinds of reality. So that we don't have to think about how scared Mary was in that moment. 
I mean, Luke doesn't want us to miss the fact of how achingly real Mary is, how achingly afraid she is. Luke, the the writer of this text, he's a doctor. He's very well educated. He knows how to get a point across, how to make an impact with one word. And so he chose a word to describe Mary's fear. It's a word that only appears once in the New Testament, and it's a word that would describe a person who is breaking apart at the seams in their mind. The word that a clinician would probably pick to describe how Mary is doing mentally is that they would say that she is deeply disturbed. Mary heard that the Lord is going to come into her life and she was deeply falling apart psychologically. And I think it'd be good for us to examine what exactly it is that she's afraid of. Because the angel Gabriel, what he does is he comes to her and he pours on the grace. He pours on the kindness. The first thing that he says is he says, Behold, you are a highly favored maiden, like we just sang in our hymn. You are a highly favored maiden in God's eyes. He looked at all the young women that could have borne his son, and he chose you, Mary. God is going to come into your life. You know, Mary wasn't afraid like Zechariah was. She wasn't afraid of the angel appearing. She was afraid of what the angel said. You know, I don't think that it's the scary part for us to know that God is out there ruling over lives for our good. That wasn't the scary part for Mary. That wasn't the scary part for us. I think the scary part for Mary and also for us was seeing to what extent God is ruling over our lives. She became afraid when the angel Gabriel announced to her that the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of all creation, he is going to come into her life, grab onto every aspect of it, and fundamentally change everything about it. And that's scary, right? Here in America, we probably, it's probably safe to say that we own the most individualistic culture in the history of the world. There's one belief that Americans hold on to over everything else. It's the fact that we own our lives. We have our hopes. We have our dreams. It's mine, and it's mine to hold on to. I can do what I want with my finances, with my life, with my day-to-day things. I'm going to be the driver. And we have real problems when someone else tries to control our lives. And what happened with Mary? The angel Gabriel appeared to her and announced to her that she was not going to have any control over a single thing in her life. Jesus is not going to ask her for permission to come into her life in this way. He's not going to ask for permission. She does not get a choice in having her reputation ruined for the rest of her life. And it really was for the rest of her life. And she's not going to get a choice in the way that her husband is going to view her. And she doesn't get a choice in even something as intimate as how her own body is going to be used. Jesus didn't ask her for permission to use her womb. He just came. 
And that's a truth that I want to get across for us this morning. That when Jesus came into the world, he didn't just come into the world as comforter. He came into the world as God to rule and to reign in our lives. And that can be scary. You know, maybe you can tell that I'm trying to inject some reality back into this part of the Christmas story, and maybe you can tell that I'm trying to push back on us having a certain cultural projection of what we think the nativity scene was like. I think we need to push back on that because it's good to see the achingly real people in whom God inspired hope. I want you to see this achingly real Mary in this text with her achingly real fears and her achingly real questions about how her life was going to go. Because every single one of us have achingly real lives with achingly real fears and with achingly real questions about how our lives are going to go. I want you to see Mary in this moment of fear and in this moment of questioning so that you can see in the rest of the story how cosmically great God's plan is for Mary and for the son that she would bear and how explicit it is, how wonderful it was, how God inspired hope inside of her. You know, this is my first time preaching a sermon like this where, where I'm preaching about what it is like to have a God who is so intimately involved in your life that he is ruling and he is reigning over every single moment of it. And I don't know exactly what the reactions of this sermon are going to be. But here's what I'm guessing you're thinking right now. This is a total guess. Yeah, pastor, it's good for us to remember that God is in control of our lives as much as I don't like to admit it. I'm not in control, God is. I'm guessing that's more the thought, and I'm guessing there's a lot less of the thought of us jumping for joy that God is in control of everything. That's just like Mary who heard that God is going to enter her life and was greatly afraid. It's scary to know that Jesus comes into your life not just as comforter, but as God to rule and to reign. And I want to show you in this text what it's like to come to joy in this. You know, I'm really grateful that Luke wrote down the meeting of Elizabeth and Mary. Angel Gabriel, he pretty much suggested that this is what Mary should do. He kind of just slipped it in there as he was talking to Mary. He said, by the way, your relative Elizabeth, she's another woman who who was not supposed to be able to have a baby, and she's having a baby, and it's changing the rest of her life. Maybe you could go visit her. And I'm grateful 
for that because, because that's what Mary did. Luke tells us that as soon as she was done with Gabriel, she shot out there like a bullet out of a gun and she went to go visit Elizabeth because she had questions and she had fears that she wanted to have addressed. And as soon as she walks into the room to see Elizabeth, she began to understand the significance of the baby boy that was growing in her womb. Because as soon as she walked into the room and greeted her relative Elizabeth, Elizabeth was taken hold of by the Holy Spirit and she started singing. Singing about how blessed Mary was and how blessed her baby boy would be. And as she sang, the question in Mary's heart changed. She had asked Gabriel, why me? And as Elizabeth sang, Mary's question changed from why me to why has the Lord been so good as to choose me and to come into my life? I'm grateful for Elizabeth and for the joy that she showed to Mary. And I'm grateful for John in this moment. Even though he's a tiny baby, he's a big deal. He's one of two prophets in the Bible that was prophesied about. The other one is Jesus. John is prophesied about hundreds of years before he is born. And in this moment, he makes his first prophecy, and it's one of his best. As soon as he hears Mary's voice, he leaps for joy inside of his mother's womb, proclaiming that this is God's Son. I'm grateful for John in this moment so that he could show Mary the joy that Jesus would bring. And I'm grateful for every Elizabeth. For every person in whom God has created faith and has given joy into their lives where there was none before. I'm grateful for every Elizabeth in this room. You can look around at each other and you can know that every single one of you is like Elizabeth. Where at some point in every single one of our lives, there was spiritual deadness. And Jesus came into our hearts and created spiritual life and caused us to jump for joy. I'm grateful that we can look around at each other. So that we can see the joy that, that God has put in our hearts because of our faith, because we know about our salvation through Jesus, so that we can begin to change our questions. From why me, God? Why have you, have you led my life in this projection, in this trajectory? So we can change our question to this. Why is it that the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of all creation has come into my life in such a way that I can be filled with the joy of His Son? Why has He chosen me to be so blessed like that? Mary is an achingly real person. 
And I want you to be able to see her. I want you to be able to look into her eyes this morning and see what's behind them. Because every single one of us have achingly real lives that don't necessarily get the warm Christmas endings. And we have achingly real fears and achingly real questions. Lord, how is this going to go? What is your plan for my life? What Christmas does is it gives us the best news of all. And the best news of all is this. It's that when Jesus comes into our lives, he does not come just as a comforter for our souls. He comes as a God, as the God who saves us from our sins. And because he's God, he does not ask for permission to enter into our lives in power. And he does not ask for permission to forgive all of our sins. And he does not get down and bend on his knees and beg us for the opportunity to start healing in our hearts. He just does it because he's God. And he loves us to that extent. He does not ask for permission to eradicate the death in our hearts. He just does it. That's what it looks like to have the rule and the reign of Jesus in our lives. He takes our achingly real lives, our achingly real questions, and causes us to sing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have reminded us today that it is by faith and by faith alone that we can have joy in you. You break into our achingly real lives and you own our trajectories and our lives in every moment that we live because you are our God. We see today that you only come to our lives to give us more life than we've ever had before. We ask you today, to give us joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.